Luke chapter number 5, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come up and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at, his, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with um, Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. Let's pray. And we'll look into this passage for the next few moments. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to meet together in church tonight. Thankful that Gospel Baptist Church still holds evening services and thankful that um, our folks still show up and attend them. And we pray and we ask that you'd meet with us in the next few moments. May you remove distractions from our mind. May you fill me with power that your word may go forth and may convict and stir people um, to conform to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. The message tonight, I'm really assuming that the majority of folks in here are believers, and I don't know if you're a believer or not, but I would say the Sunday night crowd is generally the crowd that is believers that have trusted Christ as, your, as their Savior. Generally, the unsaved folks, if they show up, it's going to be on Sunday morning, but you never know. Somebody in here may have us all fooled. It does happen, but I'm going to be speaking predominantly to the saved folks Say, folks, tonight, and it's, it's predominantly going to be about discipleship, about discipleship. And maybe you have played the game at some time in your life. You have may played the game. Uh, when I say a word, you say the word that comes to your mind first. The first thing that comes into your mind, you say it. Maybe you've played that game before. Maybe you haven't. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to play that game with me, but I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to answer inside your mind, okay? Young people, they can't resist shouting it out, but you guys are sophisticated. You're older. You're aged. You can hold it in, I know. And so I'm going to say a few, I'm going to say a word, and then you, in your mind, say what you think. The first word is, what do you think of when you think of the word politician? Probably some people think liars. Probably happens. Maybe dishonest. What about when you think of the word movie star? Everybody's got a movie star that just popped into our head. It could be John Wayne. Maybe so. What do you think of when you think of an athlete? Of an athlete. Who do you think of? When you think of the word hero, what do you think of? Maybe the men and women who 
gave their lives so we could have freedom. It's great. But what do you think about when you hear the word Christian, the first thing that comes to your mind? We're mature people, mature believers for the most part in here, and most of us in here, we know our Bibles, and we understand what it means to be a Christian. We understand everything that that it comes with. 99% of people in here probably do, but there's a vast majority of people who do not understand what it means to be a Christian. They have these false ideas in their mind about what a Christian really is. Some people, they even go to such superficial levels as somebody who wears a cross. If you were to ask different people, it'd be maybe someone who has a Christian bumper sticker or maybe somebody who just tries to live by Christian principles. Or generally, it would probably be somebody who goes to church, who goes to church or maybe has a Bible, or reads a Bible, or maybe was born into a Christian family. But us in here, we know that there is a lot more that entails being a Christian than just those superficial things. It has to do with following Jesus. If I was to go out in the community and I was to ask hundreds and hundreds of people, are you a Christian? They would say, yes, absolutely but are they a follower of Jesus? They would probably say, no, no, I'm not. I do interviews here at school, and I generally ask, are you a Christian? And most of the time they say yes, but after further prodding, I soon find out that they really aren't. They're Christian in name only. They are not following Jesus. They're not trying to live their life for Jesus in any such way. They're just claiming the name of Christ. Maybe they did accept Christ as their Savior sometime years ago but they are not on a daily pursuit of trying to be like Christ. So tonight we're going to look over, as you see in the bulletin, the title of this is The Attributes of a Disciple. The Attributes of a Disciple. So when we look at this passage right here, there's about five things in my mind that stick out about what a disciple is. Now this is, of course, has to do with the process of them uh, becoming disciples, but there's some truths that we can gain from this. The first one that I see in verses 1 through 3 disciples, they care about the things of God. I'm going to read the passage once again. It says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon, pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, and Simon, uh, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. They listened to the word of God. Now, this, I don't believe, was the first encounter that Simon Peter had with Jesus. I looked up all the parallel passages, and I believe in the book of um, John, in the first chapter, we see that this was not his first time that he had heard about Jesus or possibly, possibly had even met Jesus. We know that this was that Andrew was a key factor in this as well. When we look at John uh, chapter number one, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew had listened to the teaching of John the Baptist and no doubt he had heard John's message that he was preparing the way for somebody as the prophet Isaiah had foretold. He was preparing the way. John the Baptist would say things to his disciples like, There is coming a man whose shoes I am unworthy to even unlatch. The next day, 
Jesus comes walking up, and I guess the Holy Spirit pressed upon him, and he pointed his finger towards Jesus. I'm sure he did, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Wow, that's huge. And as Andrew, a disciple of John the Baptist, that was big. This was the guy that they had been waiting for. Of course, Jesus was baptized. We know that as well, that later on that day, they were Andrew and another disciple of John the Baptist were following afar off from Jesus when he was walking. And he turns around and he says to Andrew and the other guy, he says, he says, what, what do, basically, what do you want? What are you looking for? What is your question? And they say, well, where do you live? And Jesus invited them, and he spent the entire day with Jesus. And then in verse number 41, it talks about Andrew. He says, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He goes back and tells Simon Peter, we have found Jesus. We have found the Christ. And so when I believe when Jesus, of course, he was tempted in the wilderness 40 days, he comes by and his earthly ministry starts out and he starts teaching and he starts preaching and he starts gaining some attention and he starts healing people. He cast demon out of one person. He healed another lady of a fever immediately. And so he moves to the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd presses upon him and there was two boats sitting there, of course. I don't believe Jesus did anything by coincidence. I believe he had a purpose in everything that he did. And he goes into Simon Peter's boat, of all people. He goes into that boat and he says to Simon Peter, would you push me out a little bit? And what they had there was a massive crowd of people. Who knows how many people were there? But a massive crowd of people, and Jesus used that little boat in that lake as somewhat of an amphitheater to speak to all of those people. And while Jesus was speaking, there was no doubt that Simon and Andrew and, and James and John, that they were listening throughout all of this taking place. They were right there. They were washing their nets in the water. They were cleaning up from an entire night of fishing. And they listened to the word of God intently. And it wasn't something that happened just at that one moment, but I can see by Andrew's earnest expectation of the coming Messiah, that it was something that they were looking forward to. So I would say a disciple is somebody who, a, a disciple is somebody who cares about the things of God and listens to the word of God. But not only did they listen to the word of God, I believe that they were impacted. They were impacted by the word of God. I tried to look, I tried to research, find. To my knowledge, there is no record of exactly what Jesus taught while he was teaching those people. I assume that he preached and he taught in parables as was his favorite way of teaching. I assume that he did that. But whatever he taught, it must have been awesome. It was enough to grab the attention of those followers, that, those folks that were soon to be his followers. They were impacted. They were about to experience a miracle which we already went over. They're about to experience it, but I earnestly believe that it had to do with the fact that they were responding to the teaching that they were hearing, that God allowed them to experience the miracle that was about to take place. Many people, they want a sign. They want God to show them miracles. 
You go out and you see in movies, and Hollywood movies, they make up, and if God's real, he's going to show me a sign, and they shake their fist at heaven. God, show me a sign. And what happens? God doesn't show them a sign. Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it. He said to the rich man, Abraham said to the rich man in hell, the rich man's down there in hell in torment, and he says, Abraham, would you please send me back to my brothers? Would you send somebody to go back to my brothers and and tell them never to come to this place, ever? And he says, they have Moses and the prophets. What was he saying? Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They have the message of the word of God available to them. He says, if they don't believe the word of God, they're not even gonna believe that somebody rise from the dead. Why do you think so? Well, in our minds, if something like that happened and somebody rise from the dead, if we were having a funeral down here and the person in the casket rose up out of the casket and all of a sudden, wow, they were here. They were alive. We would, in our minds, I'm sure we would make something up. We would scientifically say that, oh, well, he really wasn't dead. His, his heartbeat just went almost, almost to nothing in the the machines couldn't pick it up and they couldn't tell there was a pulse and we would make up some sort of excuse. We would explain it away. It really comes down to the word of God. And so I encourage you today as a disciple of Jesus, don't be relying on the miracle. I think God showed him a miracle because he wanted to wow them. But I think that they were already responding to the truth that had been shown to them. It had an impact on their life. They also, they reverenced the man of God. At Jesus' request, Simon Peter, Simon Peter pushed the boat out as Jesus commanded. He didn't say, hey man, what are you doing in my boat? That's what we do nowadays. You watch some guy hopped up in your boat, you'd say, you just got a new boat. Hey, you'd say, man, what are you doing in my boat? Get out of my boat. And I, I get it, but he didn't. He had a reverence for the man of God because he had heard about what Jesus had been doing and he had some reverence for that. As we see later in the next few verses, we're going to read in just a minute, we see that Jesus requested to go out again and go fishing. And I guarantee you that was probably the last thing on their minds that those folks wanted to do. But he reverenced the man of God and he even used the word master. Master, we have toiled all the night. He had a reverence. People today, even Christians today, they do not have a reverence for the things of God. They don't. It's almost like they want to take everything that represents God and they want to twist it in a way that makes them feel more comfortable. There was a time, I remember 20 years ago, that's not very long for some of you folks, but 20 years ago, I remember working on a bus route with my dad and we would go to bus meetings. We'd have a Saturday morning bus meeting. And we would go, and it was just, it was basically like we do on Sundays, but this was to go out and visit our kids. It was kind of some encouragement. We're all gonna meet together at about 10 o'clock in the morning. Then we're gonna go out and we're gonna go visit our bus kids. We're gonna sugar them all up with candy, tell them to come to church tomorrow to be a great thing. And we would go out into inner city Little Rock. And it was a bad place at one time. I do believe Little Rock was the third most dangerous city in America at one time, a few years when I was in high school. And we would go out there and we would have these stories. These, some of the bus captains would come back. These white bus captains would go into these African-American neighborhoods that were overrun with gangs. And they would be walking to their bus kids' houses and 
to the neighbor houses trying to find kids and get them to come to church and share the gospel and all those good things. And they would have people come up to them, gang members come up to them and would tell them, the only reason you're not dead right now is because of that Bible you're holding in your hand. There was some reverence at some point in time, and many of you who are much older know what I'm talking about. There was some reverence back in the old day for the things of God, where churches would leave their doors unlocked so folks could come in and they could pray when they needed a place to get alone with God. We can't do that anymore. We lock all the doors. We put alarm systems on anything, motion sensors if anything moves. Boom, the alarm goes off. We get notified. We have cameras at every door. There's not a reverence for the things of God anymore. Some, in some places, not, there's not even a reverence for the preacher, for the pastor of the church. They just look at him as a hired hand. God forbid. God forbid. They had a reverence for the things of God. Secondly, disciples, they obey. Disciples obey. Verse 4 says, now, we had le- now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. They obeyed even though they didn't want to. They obeyed even though they didn't want to. I believe he obeyed because of who Jesus was. He called him master. He referenced his authority, that he was a leader, that he was a teacher. They were already cleaning up. If Maybe they were already actually done, it's possible, cleaning up from that entire night of fishing. And from the few times that I've went out fishing with Troy, I know that cleaning up is the worst part. And the last thing that you want to do after you spend a whole day fishing and you're beat up from getting rocked around in the boat all day, the last thing you want to do is hop back in the boat, bring all your stuff back in it, head out, get it all dirty again, and bring it back in and have to clean it a second time. That's from just the few times that I went out with him. I couldn't imagine a guy who does it every day. But he had this reverence for God that even though he didn't want to go out again, He had enough respect for Jesus that he said, at your command, we're going to go out, even though he didn't want to. By the way, these folks, they weren't just fishing for fun. They were fishing for a way of income. This is how they made their money. I'm sure they were discouraged. I'm sure they were a little bit angry. Man, how am I going to provide for my family if I can't even catch fish, can't even catch one fish all night? So they were probably upset. They were probably angry, the last thing that they wanted to do. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, there's going to be times where we don't want to obey, but we should just go ahead and obey anyway. There's going to be times, it's just reality. There's going to be times when you don't want to show up to church, but show up to church. Get out of bed. Forget that afternoon nap. Don't let it linger on. Get up and get to church. There's going to be times where you don't want to crack open the Bible, but crack it open and start reading. There's going to be times when you don't want to get on your knees and you don't want to pray. Hey, do it. There's going to be times, I guarantee you, you come to door-to-door ministry, to soul-winning ministry, there's going to be times where you don't want to do it. And the devil's going to be fighting you tooth and nail. And, oh, you had a long week. And, oh, this is going on in my life. Oh, money's tight. I need to be doing this. I need to be working. Just do what God wants you to do. 
bus captains, you know what I'm talking about. The bus ministry can be a very discouraging ministry, but you know it's the right thing to do, so you guys do it. I mean, that's how you, how do you think you stay in the bus ministry? How many years? 20-something? 20-something years? How many? 20? 20 years. How do you stay in the ministry 20 years? You do it when you don't want to do it. You do it when you don't want to do it. There's going to be times in life where we don't want to tell the truth, but God forbid if we lie. There's going to be times, I'm sure, in marriages where a partner doesn't want to stay faithful, but stay faithful. It's the right thing to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. True disciples obey even when they don't want to. They, they obeyed even though they didn't understand. Man, what does this guy know about fishing? I mean, that's like me going up to Nick, Troy, Abdiel, going out. I've never even been out fishing. And me going up to them and say, all right, guys, this is what you need to do. This is the best time to catch fish. They laugh me to scorn. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do, but they did it anyways. They obeyed anyways. It, it'd be pretty humorous for sure. Abraham, I think about Abraham. God says, Abraham, get up out of your country. He says, I'm going, go to a land that I'm going to have prepared for you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham didn't even know where he was going. He was a very rich man. He probably could have said, well, God, I probably could do more for you right here. I have more of an influence right here. But even though he didn't have all the answers, he went ahead and did what God wanted him to do anyway. Abraham was a disciple of God. All the way back then, he was following what God wanted him to do, even though he didn't have all the answers. When these disciples, when they obeyed, God blessed them. It says in verse number six, if you follow me, follow along with me, it says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. A few of you went on a fishing trip a few months ago, months ago and you came back and you talked about how you had like the, one of the best days ever. And I think it was, was it Red Snapper you guys caught? I think it was Red Snapper. Phenomenal. But I'm telling you, that had nothing on what was going on right here. Boats beginning to sink, calling other people to come over. It was amazing. God blessed them because they obeyed. And he was proving himself to them. He blessed them because they obeyed. And many people, they never experienced the blessings of God because they never obey fully. They wonder, why doesn't God show me? Why doesn't God ever do miracles in my life? Could it be because you're not obeying and you're not following him? That could be a good reason why. I think of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. Egypt always represented the world. God let them out of the world, saved them, and they went into the wilderness, supposed to be for a short amount of time. And what God was trying to do was sanctify them, bring them unto himself. They had been polluted with the world, just like every single one of us has been polluted with the world before we trusted Christ as our Savior. And he had that time of sanctification where we have the law of Moses that was given to them. And that was to show them how that they should live and that they should simply obey God. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all their mind. Sums it all up right there. And during that time in the wilderness, they were supposed to obey God, but we can see failure after failure after failure after failure. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. They're down there. 
dancing, having a big party, making a golden calf. They go over, they murmur, complain, complaining about manna. They go over and they're about to enter into the promised land and they don't trust God that they can conquer the Canaanites who seem like giants in their eyes and they look like little tiny grasshoppers. They never got to experience the blessing of God in the promised land because they didn't obey. The promised land always symbolized God's blessing, the spirit-filled life, the type of Christian life that God wants for every person. But if we don't obey, we never get to experience that type of life that he offers for us. So we must obey in order to get the blessing. So if you're coming up dry week after week and God's not proving himself in your life in any way, I would take a real hard look in the mirror and say, God, is there anything that's going on? And am I not obeying fully? And surrender it to him. I personally believe that when we obey, God is going to bless. That doesn't mean I'm not talking about money. Everyone likes to talk about money. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about health. We're talking about the things that are eternally important. How about leading a soul to Christ? How about that? How about discipling a new believer? How about bringing in kids on a bus route? Wow. Those are miraculous things. And God will do many, many, much more than we ask or think for sure. Number three, disciples, they fear God. Disciples, they fear God. Verse 8, 9, and 10 says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. In an instance, Peter got a clear picture about who Jesus was and who he was. He got a clear picture about how much Jesus actually knew and about how little he really knew. This guy was just supposed to be a carpenter, but he was much more than a carpenter. This guy was just supposed to be a teacher, but he was much more than just a teacher. I thought he might have been a prophet. He was much more than a prophet. He was God clothed in flesh. And I think that Peter saw that something big was happening. Peter, he realized his own sin and God's holiness. He said, he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm sure Peter compared to his buddies at the fishing dock. I'm sure he wasn't that bad of a guy. I'm sure compared to his family, he wasn't that bad of a guy. But when he got into the presence of a holy God, he immediately knew where he stood, that he was a sinful man, and he didn't even want Jesus to be around him. I remember before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I went through that type of thing. I didn't want to be in church. It wasn't because I had any, I didn't like the message. I, it rubbed me the wrong, I knew that I was a sinner on my way to hell. I didn't want to have any part of it. When preachers would come through town, they, I avoided them. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to shake their hands after chapel got over at school. I didn't want anything to do with them because it made me feel 
how sinful and wicked and evil that I was. I don't know if anybody else had that experience, but man, it showed me when I got around people who were full of the Holy Ghost and who were truly holy men of God, I didn't like it. And I wanted them to stay away from me, didn't want to talk to them, didn't want to associate with them. As quickly as I could get away, I would do it because I was uncomfortable. We got folks who come into church here, they're instantly uncomfortable, instantly. And they have this response that Peter has, but Jesus says to him, fear not. He experienced God's mercy, which is amazing. He experienced God's mercy. Jesus said, fear not. Jesus did not come to condemn. That's coming later. That's at the next coming. In flaming fire, when he shall be revealed from heaven in flame, with his holy angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The time for judgment wasn't when he came as the lamb. That was the time for reconciliation that he was calling men. He was going out to seek and to save that which was lost. And Peter, at that moment, experienced mercy because Jesus didn't shove him away because of his sin. He said, fear not. Everything's okay. It's all good. Pretty amazing. Many people feel like God is always out to get them. They wander around life. Even, even some believers, they wander around thinking God's just standing over them with a hammer waiting for them to make a wrong move so he can God's not doing that. He's not doing that. I guarantee you he's not doing that. God is merciful. He is merciful to us. Peter felt unworthy, and I'm happy that we are not dependent upon feeling for our position in Christ. He says, fear not. Although Peter felt like he was a sinful man, he showed repentance at that moment. And at that moment, it wasn't based on his feeling. It was based, based on his position and what Jesus was doing in his life. We had communion last week, and it always strikes me funny. Every time I go and I start to take communion, I think I shouldn't be doing this. Not for any sin or anything that's in my life, but I feel like I am so unworthy. See that, that word again, feel, feel. We need to get off the feeling and start getting in the book and what the book says. Because it's not about our feeling, it's about what the word of God says. And I feel as if I am unworthy because really I am unworthy, but Jesus, because of the blood of Christ, has made me worthy and I'm able to partake of the Lord's table. It's great. I feel unworthy that I'm able to stand behind this pulpit, but because of what Jesus has done in my life, he has made me worthy. It's not about feeling, it's about what Christ has done for us. Fourthly, disciples, they forsake all. Disciples, they forsake all. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. They had a reverence for the things of God. They were interested in the things of God. We see, secondly, that the disciples obey, that the disciples, they have a fear for God, and the disciples, they forsake all. They left their way of life. This wasn't something that they just decided a few years ago that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue a career in fishing, commercial fishing. This was probably something that their fathers had done and that their father's fathers had done. It was a way of life, and they rejected everything by those short encounters that they had with Jesus. It must have been amazing to see that it would completely change a person's life. And you know, when God impacts your life and he impacts my life, 
that same type of change takes place. I don't like preachers who get up in the pulpit and they call people to be preachers. I don't like it when preachers and evangelists call people out in the audience to be missionaries or to surrender to full-time Christian service. If God's in it, it's going to happen. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, nobody had to come along with a cattle prod and poke me along. Chris, you need to read your Bible. Chris, you need to start going to church. Chris, you need to start sharing the gospel. That didn't happen. It naturally happened because of the amazing thing that God did in my life. And those of you who are saved and you've had the same exact experience as me, you've seen God's power and his mercy. He's given you a new life and things began to change right away. We shouldn't have to drive people to get them to do things for God. We come and we have young people who come here for Sunday school and we're constantly pushing them and shoving them. I don't want it to be me that pushes people to serve Jesus. I want to be like Jesus and he leads people. What does he do? He says, he calls people. He says, it's not in this, it's not in this passage, but in a parallel passage, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus wasn't driving anybody to follow him. He was calling like a shepherd does to his sheep. And they come and they follow him. They left their source of income. That would have been big. I don't think after what they experienced and what they saw, I don't think they said, hey, Jesus, how much you pay? Does that come with um, an IRA bonus every year? Does that, yeah, benefits. Man, what about health care? What kind of health care do you offer, Jesus? I mean, he healed people. That was pretty good health care. I don't think they were asking about health care. All they knew was, this is something amazing. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and when God comes by your house, that's the same feeling that you get. I got to listen. I've got to go. They left their possessions. The rich young ruler is a great illustration of this. He was concerned about his money. He said, ah, I'm a good guy. I've kept all the commandments. Well, Jesus said, well, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. It wasn't about the money. We always think that God is so concerned with our money. He's not concerned with the money. He's concerned with you and me. He doesn't need our money. But everybody out there seems to think that God's trying to get in their pockets. No, he's trying to get in your heart. And these folks here, these disciples, they were willing to give up everything. They left their boats and all their supplies and all their gear, and they took off and followed Jesus. They also, they left their families. That's the biggest one, I think, out of all of it. They left their families. Who, know, who knows when they were going to return? I'm sure their families probably weren't too happy about it. I may have told you about a missionary that I had in high school that he retired about 30, 30 or 40 years, I would say. I mentioned him in Sunday school, actually. 30, 40 years in the mission field, and he went to the country of Papua New Guinea many, 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 many years ago. And him and his wife were dating in Bible college. And he went and asked the father for permission to marry this girl. And the father said, what are you going to do with your life? These were Christian people, good Christian people, faithful to church, love God. He goes and asks the father for the blessing. The father says, what are you doing with your life? Mr. Kirkman was his name. He says, well, I'm going to marry your daughter. I'm going to take her to Papua New Guinea, and we're going to serve God and win souls and preach the gospel. And he says, well, you don't have my blessing." Many people are willing to give up everything else, but they're not willing to give up the family. They're willing not to 
give up living close to their kids. You may not be able to watch your grandchildren grow up, but if you're doing the will of God, do we not think that God is going to reward us much more? I think so. I'm looking forward to it, but they left all of that. And lastly, the last thing is disciples, they follow Jesus. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, of course, and they followed him. It requires faith. I find it interesting. Jesus didn't even tell them where they were going. He just said, follow me. And they left everything and followed him. It requires faith. They don't know what's in store, but they're just relying that God's gonna take care of all the details. Hey, if Jesus can supply that many amount of fish, I think he can take care of the income. I think he can take care of the food. I think he can get them to the proper destination. Following has the idea that you're doing the exact same thing the person in front of you is doing. If we took off in a car out here and you were in one car, I was following behind you, I would take the exact same turns you did. I would turn on the exact same streets that you did because I'm following you. If I start taking different turns and wrong turns, I can't expect that I'm gonna get to the same destination you are. Many Christians, they wanna take an alternative route to what Jesus has for them. They wonder why, why didn't I get here? Why didn't I arrive at the destination that God had for you? Because we were never following him to begin with. We got off track. It requires faith. It requires mimicking. It comes with criticism. Jesus says, if they hated you, they're gonna hate me comes with persecution, and it's a different path than, what, than the world's path. The path should be different. It should be clear. We shouldn't be able to buddy, buddy, buddy up with the world. It shouldn't be possible. There's folks over the last mm, 10 years or so that I've been, 10 years or so, I'd say, that I've been saved, that have tried to become friends with me, people who were unsaved, close friends, people who were severely backslidden, and after just a few short times of getting to know them, we have nothing to talk about. We have nothing to talk about. Oh, yeah, I talk about the weather. I got family members. I can't even talk to them. I have family members. I can't talk to them. We literally have nothing to talk about. We're on two totally, not even different pages. We're in two totally separate books because I'm following Jesus and they're following their own lusts and their own desires. Our past should be different when we follow Jesus. And lastly, in conclusion, there's a difference between a believer, somebody who trusts Christ as their Savior. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple, a believer and a true follower of somebody who's trying to become like Christ. I'll list this and we'll finish. To believe is cheap and costs us nothing, but to follow Christ is costly and he asks us to consider the great cost. I believe in Christ's work for me but discipleship is the work, is the result of his work in me. Believers consider themselves first, but disciples consider Christ first. Belief saves my soul, but discipleship glorifies God. A person who is only a believer is not necessarily known as a Christian, but disciples are known as Christians. Believers go to heaven but disciples are greatly rewarded there. I don't know about you, but I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want these five things we went over to be in my life. 
It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision to follow Christ. Let's pray. We'll have a moment. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.